listen, I mean, I made a commitment to the fans that I was going to put a great product on the field. And I inherited a farm system that was hollowed out. And I've been investing in, in the farm system, investing in new technologies, investing in personnel, and trying to drive you know, the farm system to where I think it needs to go, you know, with obviously Billy at the helm. One of my markers of success, I have a couple markers, okay? One's going to be, let's win a World Series at some point, right? That would be fun. And then the second thing is I want to, I'm a big development guy. That's what I do at Point72. You know, I develop a lot of my future stars internally at the firm. And I want to do the same, same thing at the Mets. I think the, the fans love when prospects come up. Um, they get excited by homegrown talent. Um, and, and I think, why can't we develop quality players in a consistent, sustainable way like some of the best clubs in the major leagues? And, and uh, that's my goal. And that's another marker of success. I mean, it's, it's going to be a great year. I, I'm, re I'm really excited for it. And we got a great group of guys. We got, we're very, very hungry. And um, uh, we want to do it. We want to we climb the mountain and we want to we win it. So uh, we're really looking forward to seeing you guys at, at City Field opening week. And uh, it's going to be a, a really special year. So buckle up. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, February the 15th, 2023, of course. I'm your host, Mike Sylvia. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. Add to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, MikeSilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, MikeSilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, Talking Mets No G, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. It is finally here. Welcome to the first 2023. No hot stove, no off-season. The journey begins. That is the theme of the show. Baseball season is here. Valentine's Day is over. The hot stove is over, New Year's over, the holidays are over, and man, it seems like it was just yesterday that we were doing the post-mortem, the Mets losing to the Padres in uh, the wild card play-in, and you know, quite simply, it's amazing how dynamic the off-season was, uh, you know, how much fun we had, how much drama there was towards the end. And quite honestly, over the last week to 10 days, I have to tell you, and I took off for the Super Bowl. I thought about doing a show before the Super Bowl, but I took off and I said to myself, you know, I really needed a blow and I feel refreshed. I feel ready to go. And this won't be a particularly long show. This is what I would call the state of the union for spring training, because officially the journey of the 2023 Mets starts today. The real winning for a professional baseball team, the real things that make a team work. It's happening on the backfields of Port St. Lucie and other spring training facilities throughout Florida, 
Arizona. It doesn't start on opening day. It doesn't start when the team kicks it into gear, whenever that is. It doesn't start at the trade deadline. It starts now. It starts here, February 15th in Port St. Lucie. And and you're going to already get, oh, the over-analysis, the best shape of your life, the cliches. You know, you heard a little bit of that from Pete Alonzo. You heard Steve Cohen coming in. But I really think the 2023 Mets, and the reason I used the Cohen clip from his interview with Howie Rose, I really think it's about upping the ante. Because if you don't think the Mets up the ante, then you haven't been paying attention. Now, I'll get into, after the break, some of the things I'm going to be looking for this spring. Because you want to set this whole thing up. And it's a weird spring because of WBC and, and what have you. But the day that Steve Cohen signed Carlos Correa, and I know there's that name again. You're like, oh, Mike, I don't want to talk about it. But, yeah. The day that Steve Cohen signed Carlos Correa, you knew how far this team would go. Now, he he didn't complete the transaction for a good reason, and that didn't change my opinion that Steve Cohen is a guy that throughout the offseason, and even in the recent interview with Howie, he mentioned the investment in the stadium. You're going to have a brand new big scoreboard and new seats and new clubs He's already looking at and gaining stakeholder feedback and how to make the environment around the ballpark better so that I don't have to, or you don't have to go to places like Pittsburgh who have better ambiance around their ballparks than the New York Mets. He's talked extensively about the farm system and wanting to build a sustainable winning product with the farm system. You're going to see some of the beginnings of that this spring with some of the top Mets prospects having an opportunity to show can they contribute to this winning team this year in 2023. Talked about the back office of the team and how they've invested in not only technology but people, wanting to develop people just like he does at his hedge fund, Point seventy two. And, of course, Steve Cohen threw in that, hey, it'd be nice to win a World Series comment, but that's what this thing is all about. This is a team that, during the offseason, they lost, I don't know if he'll be a Hall of Famer, but certainly a guy that's arguably the best pitcher next to Tom Seaver in Mets history, Jacob deGrom. They lost Jacob deGrom and immediately, within 48 hours to 72 hours, responded by signing a future Hall of Famer, Justin Verlander. Shows you how far they've come. You heard a couple of weeks ago a clip I played from Eric Chavez on the Boone podcast about pressure and the pressure. This is from earlier this offseason, and he was talking about pressure last year coming out of the lockout, a team that was coming off 77 wins, and many people still felt an owner that was had a lot of money but didn't really understand this business, a team that was cursed and couldn't get out of their own way, and a manager that hadn't been in a dugout in four years. And, you know, I really think that you know, you had Scherzer, you had that, but you still had McNeil, you had Lindor, and Ify Nimmo, he's injured, the closer can be kerosene on the fire. There was so many questions that, yeah, if they felt pressure last year, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now it's real. They've tasted success. You as a fan base has tasted success. You heard Buck already talking about it. You can't skip the season to get to the playoffs. Everything last year, all the phases of the season, all the big road trips that they were able to navigate, all the big wins, all the character-building situations, 
all the accomplishments, they mean nothing. They're all in the history books. They're on baseball reference. One day it'll be fun to look at them and remember and share stories. And maybe throughout this season, there'll be times where those things will come up. But it's over. And quite honestly, last year was a fun year. But a nice regular season won't do it anymore. A hundred wins won't do it anymore. I'm not saying they have to win a hundred games. I'm not saying that uh, uh, it's not going to be fun making the playoffs and having a nice celebration like they did in Milwaukee last year. You want to celebrate success. Take a moment to enjoy the achievements you do before you go on to the next step. I don't want it to become like the Yankees where, let's face it, sometimes the Yankees, especially as after they got the four World Series in five years, nothing was really special to them anymore. Understandably in some cases, but it's really sad. And the fan base started to mirror that, how even a division, a hard-fought division, didn't mean anything. I think it was 2005 where the Yankees had beat the Red Sox the last weekend of the season for the division. And I remember them not really in a tight race for the AL East. Granted, both teams made the playoffs, but it didn't seem like they were happy or, or, or this was special. And it should be. Making the tournament is what money will buy. So all this investment, all this pressure that comes from the Greenbacks is about making the tournament. Winning the tournament is partially about money. But it's the money that you bring in. Guys like Verlander, guys like Scherzer, Lindor, investing in McNeil, investing in Nimmo, maybe investing in Pete Alonso. Uh, it's performing in those big spots. Now, I am not like the Yankees of the 90s, nor, you know, even, look, you guys know I love Pat Riley. Here comes that reference. You know, Pat used to talk about winning or misery. There's a certain component to that, but I think that, Life in sports is not as black and white as that. I like to live a little bit more in the gray. So before I get into and break down basically what I'm going to be looking for this spring from this team, some of the storylines that I'm looking at, I wanted to tell you what I think has to happen for us to feel like this team is A, had a successful season, and B, is moving this needle forward. I'm not going to hold Steve Cohen to World Series in the first five years. That was a nice goal. He wanted to set a goal. It's a very ambitious goal. And like he said to Howie, you got to have goals because ultimately, you know, what are you in this for? But asking some a team to go from dysfunction post-pandemic and some of the craziness that went on from basically, you know, 2018 onward to winning a World Series within the first five years of the owner. I mean, even the Dodgers didn't do that with the Guggenheimer group. But – Look, it's there, and that's the goal, and they put the chips to the center of the table, and you've got guys like Scherzer and Verlander. That's why they're still playing. They made their money. They made their all-star games. They still want to make more money, but they want to make money and win because they can make $40 million anywhere. Trust me, they can. You know that. What do you need to see? You probably need to see this team produce a season at the very least like 1999 and how the Mets did in 1999 or a 2015 Mets type of season or a 2000 Mets type of season. Yeah, I understand there were no titles in those years and each of those years ended in some heartbreaking disappointment, but they were special seasons because you knew the team was in it to the end. And in a lot of ways, they probably maximized the talent that was on those clubs. And look, this team, uh, if you have another 2022 Really nice regular season, but fizzle out late and into the postseason. I think it brings questions, and I think that's fair. I pushed back on that last year, if you remember. 
the media will start to question this team and how they could perform in a big spot. Maybe Buck gets questioned. Maybe Billy Epler gets questioned if he doesn't uh, or he has another maybe passive trade deadline. And it would be fair. You know, I am not, and we had this debate, if you remember, last September with Casey Stern, formerly the MLB Network, uh, you know, radio, TNT, TBS. And I said, look, you know, they don't have to get to the NLCS to have a successful season. They got to, you know, and I didn't even think they needed to win the division. I thought losing the division would be a big disappointment. But I thought what they accomplished, the 100 wins, getting into the tournament, I was bitterly disappointed about how they played against San Diego. But I didn't want to call last season. And we talked about this in the, in the you know, the postmortem show that I did was a failure. It was unfair to say that. But now things have changed because I think that the Mets have turned the ship to the way where now it's not about transitioning and, and moving away from the negativity of the last few years and building culture. They've built a lot of this stuff. They have work to do. No doubt about it, they have work to do. But the culture building has begun, and they have a perfect manager to continue to do that. So now it's about expectations. And Pete Alonso is going to learn, if you're going to go in front of the media here on February 15th and say what you just said about winning it all, it better not be a throwaway line or a cliche because this town will hold you accountable. I'll hold them accountable. I know you will. I get criticized a lot for being too soft on the team. I'm also realistic. Remember, Billy Epler's, and I'll quote this to ad nauseum. You'll probably get it on the bingo card, or you'll tweet me and say, stop it. It's a probabilistic game, and if the best teams have an 18% chance of winning, well, that ain't great chances. So when you make proclamations, you're probably going to be wrong. But the process of how you get to whatever the end result may be That's what people are going to look for. You know, you get to the World Series and you get beat by a better team. Yeah, you'll get criticized, but you'll get beat by a better team. And to a certain degree, that happened. They got beat by San Diego, but maybe some of the warts that this team had came out. So buckle up. Officially, the journey begins today. And the ante has been up. The ante will be upped on this show. I'm sure the ante has already been upped by you. And look, if this shows up in the ante, you know we're pretty fair and balanced here. Could you imagine what the mainstream media is going to do? Could you imagine what the beat is going to do? Because, and you've seen it sometimes with the Yankees. This town, the media in this town, and the fans, we know they don't handle it well. The media in this town doesn't take, they, they seem to get offended by when a team doesn't meet the expectations. When they, when they throw bouquets, because they're more prone to not throw bouquets, they're more thro- prone to to question and criticize. But when they throw bouquets and anoint you in a way as a good product and you don't perform up to those expectations, well, boy, you know what happens. They get cranky. They get angry. And that's when the real craziness starts. So it officially has begun. Spring training 2023, baseball 2023. Not a stitch of snow in New York this offseason. And I guess we could still get some because you got – a little bit away before it's officially spring. Although, man, there's some good weather. There was a couple of days this weekend. I felt that it was almost felt like spring. Not quite, but close. So hopefully that continues. And it'll be in a flash of an eye. We'll be settling in, whether you make the trip, your couch at home, wherever you are. You'll be watching the Mets opening day play the Marlins in Miami. Oh, what a pesky, horrible place to start a season. But they'll be playing the Marlins in Miami, and that's 
The journey begins. The journey begins now, but then the journey really gets real. So we'll have a lot to talk about over the next six weeks. This show is just simply a kickoff show. It's a, it's an, it's a chance to get your appetite wet for more to come. I'll be with you every week, and uh, I look forward to it. I'm pumped up. I'm excited. I needed the week off. I needed the time off to kind of you know recalibrate. I felt the offseason was getting a little stale, especially post-Korea. But now I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm pumped. So anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to give you the storylines that I'm watching, the things that are important to me this spring, because there's a lot of things we know about these players. They have a long history, the, the front of the baseball reference page, the back of the baseball card, whatever you want to call it. But there's some things we don't know, and I think there's one really key thing that's going to stand out to me this spring. I'll talk about that, and maybe you'll get a hint with the dialogue, the little teaser, before we come back right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big-time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey, Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Doctors take field of greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food and not enough exercise. That's why I take field of greens. The fruits and vegetables in field of greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. 
Let's talk about Kodai Senga, though. He is obviously a welcomed addition to the Mets, and we have talked a lot about that. But there are so many unknowns with him. We know that he had a 2.42 ERA in the NPB. But, Harp, what specifically do you expect uh, from Senga in his first year in MLB? It's really hard to say. I mean, it's solid at the very least, Michelle, but it's hard to say how much better than that just because we don't know. A lot of times these Japanese pitchers come over and they can struggle a little bit the first time over here with the uh, they, they pitch, pitch more often. The size of the ball is a little bit different. If you compare him to Masahiro Tanaka, Tanaka had the great splitter, as does Senga, and he was he, he was wiping out the American League until he hurt the elbow that first year in 2014. He had, a, he had an under two, two, two ERA in the middle of June. Then they had the elbow started to become a problem. The difference is is he had prestigious or pristine command, and uh, that's the issue for Xenga. A lot of scouts think his command could be an issue, in the, especially against good, big league hitters. So if he's not commanding, I'm not the splitter so much as his breaking stuff and his fastball. If he's leaving that, leaving that in the middle of the strike zone or even anywhere in the strike zone, he's probably going to get harder, hit harder than Tanaka did is for certain. Yeah, Harp, there are so many unknowns, but there's a lot to dream on too, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he throws harder than Tanaka did, and uh, he's also got, I know you love this term, John, uh, so I'm happy to bring it out. The ghost fork, <laughs> oh uh, which God. is a devastating weapon, obviously. So he looks. He, he has quality strikeout stuff, and that's going to play, uh, I think, in the big leagues. Uh, he's also good at limiting home runs. Uh, admittedly, in Japan, there's not a lot of a lot of hitters selling out to hit the ball over the fence the way they do over here. But I think that he is going to be able to to do that as well here. I, I just I wonder how many innings he's going to be able to provide in the first year because he's about a 140 inning kind of guy pitching once a week in Japan. Now, do you think that, I mean, if he pitches 150 innings this year, is that good? Is that bad? I mean, only, there were only 62 pitchers across all of MLB yeah. who pitched 150 yeah, innings you, you last would, year. You would expect, you would want more. I don't know if you expect it because, as you said, they only pitch once a week. So I think there is a, a period of adaptation when they get over here for sure. He has pitched more than 150 innings three times in his career. So a question mark's definitely there for sure. Everybody's uh, ready to rock here because I am as uh, we get into what am I going to be looking at this spring? So let me kick this off by saying, all right, you got a little teaser about what I'm thinking about from the the intro, you know, Kodai Singer. We'll get to him in a bit, okay, because he's going to be a big part of this. But when I see articles about the relationship between Verlander and Scherzer, stuff that is all uh, soap opera stuff gossipy stuff, typical of mainstream media and, and sports talk radio in 2023. I don't care. That's, that's, you know what that kind of stuff is? That kind of stuff is the lazy radio that when you're on the air five hours and you get no calls and you have no depth of analysis, you have a debate about who's better, LeBron or LeBron or Michael Jordan. It's filler. It's what steroids used to be. Let's have a steroid debate to fill the time. Nobody cares. So you're not going to hear me get into, oh, what's the relationship between Verlander and Scherzer? They're rich. They're on a really good team. They don't have to compete with each other. They're both going to, you know, they're going to get their starts if they're healthy. So it's not like one is taking another spot. They don't care. I mean, let's, let's, so, so that kind of stuff, the tune-ups about the vets, there's a lot of veterans on this team. The pressure of the veterans and how they perform, that comes in the regular season. None of that matters now because, you know what, 
I'm not going to get crazy. You're not going to see me get crazy about spring training stats for Francisco Lindor. I mean, maybe that's a bad example because they're in the WBC. Most of the Mets are in the WBC. But Brandon Nimmo, Daniel Vogelback, uh, Luis Guillorme, you know, Darren Ruff. I mean, I know that, you know, Darren Ruff is like public enemy number one around here. So, you know, the guy hits a buck 50 in spring training, you know, that'll all of a sudden become a thing. But, you know, none of that matters. I mean, that's for the coaching staff and for Buck to assess, you know, is there something there? Are they getting their reps in? Are they getting their work in? Is, is their bat slow? You know, everybody has their process. So I don't care about any of that stuff. So none of that's going to be part of this. But the most obvious thing I'm going to be looking at this spring, and I think it's going to be a bigger conversation, and I promise I'll get more into it because this is an introductory show. This is an outline, really, of what to come. You know, this midweek show is a kind of way to, to set the table. So I'm not going to get too deep into it. But I am going to be looking at the new rules. I found it very interesting listening to Buck Showalter on uh, the podcast with Joe DeMeo, the SNY podcast with Joe DeMeo and Connor Rogers. I found it very interesting that Buck did not think the bigger bases were much of an impact. It really was amazing to me. I, I said, wow, that that is interesting because I thought with the way the running game, taking the extra base – uh, you know, teams may be employing a specialty runner like uh, a Terrence Gore type. I thought that would become a thing. It didn't sound like that may be as big of a deal. And I trust, look, Buck is a baseball lifer, and he's a baseball expert. He's going to know a lot more than you or I. So if he says it's not as big of a deal, I'm going to take that seriously. It really was the pitch clock and more about how the hitter would adjust. And, you know, these are things that, um, you know, we're going to be really looking at. And, and I think the pitch clock, you know, the, the, the shift, uh, you know, I, again, you know, we watched baseball a certain way for 100 years uh, until maybe the last six or seven years. The shift wasn't this big conversation. It didn't bother me. I told you, really, I started to notice it maybe about five years ago. And when I went to a ball game and I saw how crazy the Phillies, I remember, were putting their players all over the field. They, you know, Gabe Kapler and the Phillies, I remember, maybe they're the first team I thought of. I know the Rays probably did this stuff too, but I thought the Phillies were one of the first teams with Gabe Kapler that really got crazy with the shift and doing all sorts of crazy things. And I know there's other rules about positional players coming in and pitching, and and I know that the 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 ghost runners here to stay, and you know these are things we could talk about later. But the new rules, I think, are the first thing you got to look for: the timer, the pitch timer. I guess we'll learn a little bit about the shift and 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 that you know how that impacts positively or negatively, is a Vogel back going to get more uh, base hits because he's hitting the ball hard and they're not going to be able to play out the roving position in the outfield? Is it going to take hits away from McNeil? You know, so on and so forth. Personally, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. I think it'll help the hitter. I don't think anybody that was successful before the shift will be less successful. I think it can only help a hitter. And, and if it doesn't, well, you know, find a way to... If, if you have to legislate a non-shift environment back to a shift environment as a league, you got a lot of problems. And if you're a player that can't compete and win and be successful with how the game was defended for the most part, and let's remember, even without the shift, you could shade over to the middle. I mean, Francisco Lodor doesn't have a chain around his ankle and he has to stay in a spot at shortstop. He could shade over. He just can't be right behind second base. And if you have an iota of range, probably make the play. It won't be as easy where he's standing right there. He might have to go to his, you know, left a little bit. A good shortstop will make the play. Range is important. Defense is important. You know those are things that I value. Those are things that we value on this show. 
It's not going to change. Up the middle defense particularly is not going to change. So I'm looking more at the clock. I still think the pitchers, especially as you get into a big spot, they're they're downplaying the impact that will have on them. You may get you know the you might start to get the rhythm, the counting in your head. Maybe you rush your delivery a little bit. Guy like Adam Adovino, Diaz with mechanics, mechanics being complicated, important. Maybe they lose their command a little bit and their control. So these are things you look for. I don't really know you'll get a true answer in spring training other than this is where the red flags are. But I'll tell you. You might see some crazy stuff the first couple of weeks of the regular season or maybe the first month. That's going to be a theme. The rules the first month are going to be a theme. Somebody's going to lose a game because a batter was either delayed or a pitcher had to rush a pitch or a pitcher wasn't ready or somebody doofus and that's working for the league in a press box somewhere in one of the 30 teams decides to mess around the clock. I mean, is it going to be like the NBA where, you know, I've always thought some, some arenas have guys who mess around the clock. You know, there was one year, I remember, I think it was the Philadelphia 76ers many years ago. There was always issues with the clock when the Knicks played the Sixers. And I was like, well, what's going on with this guy? Get him out of there. I mean, it's like when you played in CYO ball with, with, the, you know, with, the, with CYO basketball. You had some joker who's not paying attention, wouldn't start the clock on time. I mean, it's a big job. It's a pressure-filled job, and there is some nuance to it. And I know there's an article over at MLB.com. And as I dive more into it, as, the, as, the, as you, know, you start to get the information from the camps, throughout various camps throughout the, the next few days, I'll be able to give you a little bit more. And that's that's the whole part. This is a, a, a setup show. We're setting this thing up on a tee a little bit. So so that's the first thing. I think that's an obvious thing. I also think, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bash the WBC at all. I do think the WBC could have a positive impact on the number of Mets that are going there. You're playing early in the season for your country. These guys take it very seriously. Um, I think they all do, not just the Latin players. I think they all do. I think guys like Alonzo McNeil and Adovino and guys like that could take it real seriously. And, um, you know, I really think the impact positively can be there. I also know not being camp with a manager like Buck, who is meticulously down to the detail, going to prepare these guys. I mean, you could tell already he's, he's putting the gauntlet down. You know, we're here to do something special. They're going to, you know, they're, if there's one thing that I don't think Buck will allow this team do, and like I said, when there's pressure, you know, part of that is the complacency of having success. And sometimes when you have success, you think you're better than you are, or you think you can roll your gloves out there and that you're just going to win. And that could be the furthest thing from the truth. If anything, this team, because of this owner, because the spending this owner does, because they're in New York, and I think a lot of people take offense to the fact that, you know what? I've taken a lot of you-know-what from the Yankees for many years, and they'll deal with that because it's an iconic franchise, the most iconic franchise in baseball. But I'm not taking anything from these you know, junior circuit guys or these uh, JV guys, I should not junior circuit, you know, JV guys from Queens that play in the middle of uh, you know, basically a junkyard. And I think that that plays, it, you know, plays into the, the, the scenario sometimes. So... Um, you know, how that plays out, you know, and, and preparation is, is a big part of it. And, and the WBC uh, is going to get into that. Now, you know, I'm sure and Buck has mentioned that he talked to you know, the various managers and said, bring them back, don't break them and things like that. Uh, you know, the WBC could be positive. And I'll tell you a quick story. When I thought the WBC showed me something about a player, uh, I think it was 2017. 
And I think he was pitching for Puerto Rico, if I remember correctly. But I remember when Seth Lugo had a really good WBC and started to show his stuff. He went from this guy that filled in the last you know, six weeks of 2016 and had uh, a terrible ERA in Vegas and came in and sparkled as a fifth starter when Matt Harvey and Jacob deGrom went down and helped the Mets make the playoffs, or at least the play-in game against the Giants. But you still didn't really know who Seth Lugo was because his numbers in the minor leagues were so bad. And that was because, and I actually recently listened to Frank Viola talk, that was because of the environment in Vegas. And, uh, you know, he goes to the WBC for Puerto Rico, and he's shining against some of the best talent. Well, there you go. There's a guy. There's a guy that's got something. And we know that Lugo and how important he was to this club uh, until he left this this past offseason, you know, the last five years. So that's where the WBC could be good, but it can also have a negative impact. It could take guys, you know, get them hurt. They, they amp it up too early. Uh, you know, they're not with their club. It's almost like you're an independent contractor, and then you get thrown into the club late in spring with a couple of weeks left before the season. And I do think part of the success of a team is that bonding, that experiencing the grind together. And when it's fractured, it creates a little bit of, a, of an issue. I don't think it's a huge issue. I think the injury sp- uh, part, the misuse part is the big issue, but it could be an issue. So that's something to look at, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it. And it's already been brought up, uh, uh, you know, quite honestly, a little bit already, uh, even before uh, anybody reported to camp. Now, the real big thing that I'm looking at this spring, and, you know, This has been a controversial signing since it happened because I was against it. I wanted the Mets to bring back Mr. Consistency, a guy that I thought could get you 15 wins. And even though he was kind of a six-inning, two-run, three-run guy, he was a guy that could take you to the eighth or the ninth inning. And he was a guy that showed me when DeGrom and Scherzer were down that he could be a de facto ace after a little bit of a blip. Uh, Even though he was miscast as that, uh, he could be de facto ace. Turns out, you know, you heard the Frankie Montas news his bad shoulder with the Yankees. I said, and you can go back, you probably have to go really through the archive, but when the Mets were looking at these Oakland starters, you know, way before they acquired Bassett after the lockout, I said, look, uh, Bassett's numbers seem like the best out of all three, out of Manaya, out of uh, Montas, and it, it's true. And I think the Blue Jays got themselves a really nice veteran starter. But that doesn't matter anymore because that's not the debate anymore. The Mets decided to go to Kodai Senga. It sounds like it's a pitcher they looked at for a while. Uh, you know, Buck talked about that the other day on the SNY podcast. And it's a guy that has an extremely high ceiling, highly touted. The Mets have had very little luck with Japanese pitchers. You know, they've had some component Japanese pitchers, uh, you know, here and there. Uh, you know, you know, Kaz Matsui was a bust, but I think they also didn't really set him up for success. And I think that's the first really big thing. You know, look at a guy like Kaz Matsui, you know, shortstop was switched to second base, uh, already uncomfortable with a new position in a, in a higher league. And, you know, he's f- trying to fit in culturally. I think one of the positive things you're already hearing about Buck is they're really cognizant about his interpreter, his relationship with his interpreter, how what that what that's doing for the club, and, you know, how close those guys are going to be. You know, he's, he's adapting to the food, the culture, the housing, the weather, the league, the ball. I mean... If anybody has a challenge this year or anybody has the biggest 
obstacles. It may be Kodai Senga. And I feel for him. You know, I'm rooting for him. Just because I don't, I'm not sure this is going to work out the way that everybody thinks, I'm hoping I'm wrong. Nothing would make me happier than to be wrong. I really think if you want to know what, what to expect, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, this is a guy that can be, you know, an ace. You know, he could burst on the scene like how Daisuke burst on the scene uh, before, you know, the league caught up to him. You know, can he be, uh, you know, Tanaka, like uh, the Yankees Tanaka? Can he be Kuroda, you know, who also pitched for the Yankees? And, you know, some dream big and say, you know, can this guy burst on the scene like Hideo Nomo did in 1995 where he won the Rookie of the Year? Uh, you know, the best year he had uh, as a professional, striking out over 11 per nine uh, in the midst of an offensive error with steroids and everything, had an ERA of 2.54. And I think that's asking a lot. You know, if you ask me, it's a guy that's going to give you about 150 innings. He's probably a six-inning, three-run guy. So it's about a 4.50 ERA. I think he could win about 10, 12 games. You know, he's probably going to be like the 1999 Hideo Nomo. More of the Hideo Nomo as he, the league adjusted to him. You know, he's probably going to walk a few more batters than we like. Uh, he may have to get a start or two skipped or spaced out because he's only used to pitching once a week. You know, hopefully he stays healthy. Not surprised to hear that the, uh, the physical wasn't great. When Jim Allen came on our show back in uh, November before it was even confirmed that Singer was the, the Mets were the favorite to sign him, they were just rumored to be in on him, he talked about having some shoulder issues. And those are serious issues. You know, Frankie Montas having a shoulder issue, these are not oil changes like Tommy John. And even with Tommy John, as you saw with Matthew Allen, they're not oil changes. Every, you know, it's all serious. So if you give me, if you, know, if you told me now Kodai Singh is going to be 12-8 and eight with a 4.50 ERA, you know, show flashes of brilliance, but frustrate you maybe with some real clunker outings, I would not at all be surprised. Is that a number three starter? I'm not sure. Now you're relying on Quintana. You're relying on Carrasco to be, you know, somewhat of a veteran that could step in and, and go into that number three. And I don't think either one of those guys are. You know, is Kodai Senga? I am not asking him to be an ace. I'd love him to be an ace. Okay, and if he is, the Mets just stole themselves a third ace. They already got two aces. I need him to be a number three. He's not even a number two because you got one, one A with Verlander and Scherzer. You could get away with that. I need him to be a number two, and I need to see early in spring. Now, if he gets beat around a little in spring, I'm not going to all of a sudden give up on him. It's the process and, and, and whatnot. And you got to be, you know, and this is where I'm going to be watching. You know, this guy has a ton of pressure on himself. You know, he looks bad. His command is off. All sorts of negative, uh, you know, statistical outcomes throughout the spring. Nobody's going to say, well, want to hear, well, he threw the ball well. He's learning. He's adjusting. You know, it's early. Right away, uh, even before an official first professional pitch, there's going to be questions. And that's unfair, but that's what he signed up for. Uh, you know, ghost fork or not, you know, that was pretty cool, that Mets commercial during the Super Bowl. I, you know, he's off to a good start, at least from the, the social media aspect with the ghost fork uh, FaceTime part of that ticket commercial. Um, so it's really going to be interesting. I, I mean, I personally think I will be myself, if they're televising the game, even if it's, you know, I'm not around and, you know, I'll record it just to watch Senga. Usually with spring training, what I like to do is check up on certain guys. I, I don't know if I could really sit and watch the whole game, especially as it gets into garbage time with some of the, you know, and it'll, there'll be more of that because you have all these guys sprinkled around 
uh, at the WBC. So you might start to see some guys like, is this guy ever going to really make a, a team? So they're going to be the Mets, but they're not going to be the Mets. So I'll, I'll probably definitely I think Kodai Singh is much watch, much must watch TV this spring. Uh, the second thing, and and this is where the WBC might be a good thing, uh, because it allows the veterans to get their at bats somewhere else and not at the expense of uh, the kids. Steve Cohen talked about the farm system. You and I know that if the Mets are going to have a sustainable winner and compete year in and year out, they can't have the kind of payroll they have every year. They can't be in on every star. Not every star is going to want to sign with the Mets. On top of that, not every star is going to make it to free agency. Look, you all, everybody's drooling over Manny Machado. He might sign with the Padres before opening day. There's some rumors about that. What do you think? Everybody else just wants to hand their star over to the Mets after you know they're done? You know he, They're done with them? No, of course not. That's why Beatty and Alvarez and maybe even Vientos. You know, remember, this year they have two guys in Vogelback and Ruff who are DHs but platoon DHs. Maybe Vientos steps up and there's some questions about, uh, you know, can he, uh, you know, with his free swinging, can he consistently uh, hit at a big league level? But he's got pop. We saw it a little bit at the end of the year. Got a couple of big hits uh, for the Mets in September. Uh, we want to see these guys and extensively see these guys. Now, they may not be facing the best talent, because obviously the other teams have guys on the WBC, but it's big league talent. So you get to see a lot about Beatty and Alvarez and Vientos. And I believe the Mets are going to need one to two of these guys to contribute in a significant way, even if it's for a month because somebody's quad is acting up or, you know, somebody broke a hand or, you know, whatever. They're going to need to be there. I mean, look, if they have a catching scenario, I have to think Alvarez is going to be the first guy to get brought up. And I want to see Alvarez not just hit the ball. I think we all know he can hit home runs. I mean, is he Gary Sanchez that can hit home runs and walk into a fastball but then really can't show anything else after the league catches up on him? Or is he a guy that's trying to get as close to Mike Piazza as you can? You know, decent enough catcher where, you know, you could live with some of the deficiencies of what he is behind the plate. But as bad as, you know, supreme. You know, look, you talk about the Mets not hitting a lot of home runs or enough home runs. They hit home runs. They just didn't hit as much as you like. And a lot of it is predicated on Pete Alonso, let's face it. And, you know, there is some questions, you know, how is Pete going to get protected in this lineup? If Alvarez turns out to be who you think he could be offensively and not hurt you defensively and you don't have to DH him, you know, you start to... You start to get yourself a much more lengthened lineup. Um, and then Beatty, of course, you know, he could be the, you know, I I hear nothing but good things about this guy. I have my questions that he could play third base, you know, his height, his mechanics, all this stuff. I'm not a scout. And also, let's face it, these kids, sometimes on a team that's a lot of veterans making a lot of money that are established, homegrown kids give the team a jolt. Maybe it's more from a fan perspective. It ignites the fans more, but it gives them a jolt. Let's face it. I mean, that's the way it is. Um, so I think these kids are going to be a big part of this year. Even if the Mets are relatively healthy, you know at some point you're going to ask, they asked Beatty last year to come in and sub in in a big series in Atlanta. I mean, Alvarez, they're bringing him up in big games uh, uh, late in the season to see if he could pop one. He's on the postseason roster. I mean, so that tells you a lot. They know they need these kids. And then 
Who else? You know, will we start to see maybe guys that aren't going to make the roster or may not even be on the 40-man roster? But who else is going to show up? I mean, they're going to need pitching depth. They have some nice starting options down the, the – and that's going to be my third point. They have some nice starting options. But, um, you know, with McGill and Peterson and whatnot. But what, what, what else? At some point, who else? And it doesn't all have to be stars. They don't have to be future aces. Just guys that can contribute. Back into the rotation starters. Bullpen help. Is there a jewel of an arm that we're not talking about that could become a nice uh, sixth or seventh inning guy? You know, things like that. You know, out of this, the kids at that part. And then that gets me into the third thing, the third thing I'm looking for. And I like to bundle things in threes. We like to do manageable big picture stuff here on the Talking Mets podcast. But we're looking at the bullpen and the starting pitching depth. I am really interested at... Hernandez and Lucchese and McGill and Peterson, because what can they provide? Uh, There was an article today on The Athletic, you know, older rotation. There's only been a couple of teams, the Yankees and the D-backs in the last 20 years, uh, that were able to mitigate a season with starters, uh, three or more starters that were age 30 or above. Mets pretty much have that. Mets have an older team. Mets are really using the Diamondbacks' blueprint of older players, veteran players trying to win a World Series, trying to put it together. And they're trying to do that while they're trying to figure out what kind of development that they could bring in and what kind of kids they could bring in. Um, So I'm really interested on that. And is anybody else going to jump into that equation? And then I'm really interested in the bullpen. Like, uh, the Mets 25-man, and I'm not getting into that today. I'm not going to predict the 25-man roster. There's plenty of time for that. But it's not all that hard to figure out the positional situation. There's not many, there's no battles. You know, what, Danny Mendick, maybe? Is he healthy enough to make the roster? You know, uh, you know the kids, Alvarez and Beatty, I don't think they make it unless something crazy happens. But the bullpen is interesting. I'm very interested in John Curtis. I told you about that a couple of weeks ago because I think he, before he got hurt, was showing the propensity to be a late-inning impact guy. And if you could have that guy earlier, like a sixth or seventh inning guy, that provides you a beautiful bridge to Robertson and Diaz and Adovino and things like that. So, you know, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at, you know, the Rule 5 pick, Green from the Yankees, Ridings for the Yankees. You know, can these guys um, provide the Mets the elite kind of depth that you see, quite honestly, from the Diamond, uh, from the Rays? from the Dodgers, from the Yankees. I mean, how many times do you, you know, the Mets go in a series with one of these teams and you go to baseball reference to see their bullpen, and you're like, everybody has great ERAs and ERA plus and strikes out a ton of people and doesn't walk anybody. And it doesn't matter if it's the, it's the you know, the veterans that are established. It's like every time they bring someone up that, you know, they need to spot in, they, they're the same. <laughs> they're good. And and they helped it. The, they, they not only did they help them win, they helped them win in a big way. And the Mets haven't always had that. And I think they were a little fortunate last year that they were able to navigate that bullpen with the Tommy Hunters and the Joely Rodriguez's. And and really, you know, when they brought Michael Givens in for reinforcement, he wasn't bad. He helped, but that's not a high high uh, a high leverage guy. You know, they got elite seasons from Diaz and Adovino, and they were lucky. That was pretty much what they needed because their starters went six, seven innings. And it goes back to what I said about Senga. If Senga is not a number three and he's more of a four or five, God forbid worse, you're going to rely more on this bullpen. 
And quite honestly, you're banking on the offense being as good as it was and maybe better, depending on the kids and depending on, you know, maybe some improvements some guys can make. You know, maybe you get a better year from Escobar. Um, you know, is there more out of Nimmo? Can kind of give you a little bit better year? You know, I think he was good, but I think he could be better. You know, could you get better, obviously get a better production at the DH spot? The starters you hope could be as good, if not better, with a full season of a healthy one-two punch of Verlander and Scherzer. And then the key is if Senga isn't a number three, you've lost that consistency that Bassett gave you. Now you're relying more on the bullpen. Well, that is going to make it even that much more important to see what kind of pitching depth you have in the bullpen with Curtis's of the world and so on and so forth. So those are the three things. And then actually, if you want to talk about the overarching that I really didn't want to count, you know, you know, uh, you know, into the Senga bullpen, you know, starter depth, and then, you know, the kids, that's the WBC, the rules. I really don't want to count that. You could maybe say those are four and five, so maybe it's five things, but I looked at those as ancillary things that everybody's going through, not just the Mets. Everybody's dealing with the WBC, some more than others. Everybody's going to be dealing with the new rules. The Mets aren't, you know, the only team, so. So that's what I'm looking at. That's the big thing this spring. Everything else is white noise. Maybe some other things will come up, but those are things. But I will tell you, Kodai Senga is going to be much must-watch TV for me. And I'm going to be assessing and analyzing. And I know I'm a, I was against the move. I was disappointed um, that they didn't bring Bassett, Bat and they, and Bassett back and they went for the lottery ticket, for lack of a better word. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't want him to succeed. And I will be the biggest fan and the happiest because I'll leave you with this before we uh, take a break and wrap up. Nothing. I have to admire the guy to come here. Yes, he's getting paid a ton of money, uh, but he would have gotten paid in Japan. And and think about if you or I, you know, Americans going to Japan, you know, as talented as you, talented as you are in your field of work, but you're going there not speaking a lick of the language. You know, the food is different. The culture is different. The living conditions are different. You have media and fans expecting big things out of you. That's a ton of pressure. You got to give the guy a ton of credit. So I, I don't. I, I want to make sure I put that out there because sometimes when you assess these situations, you could come across a little bit harsh. So anyway, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We we'll back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, I know there's some mailbags that uh, I have to get to, and and really for this show, I was going to focus more on just setting up the sp- spring training. It's it's not a short, but it's really a setup. So I'm gonna put those in the in the, in the parking lot for for a little bit. We're gonna get back to them on Sunday on Sen- Sunday show. I'm hoping to have Evan Drellich of the Athletic, who just came out with a book uh, called "Winning Fixes Everything." You know, we'll not just talk about signs dealing with Evan. I'm hoping to you know talk a little bit about the Mets and the, and and the season and some of the things he's looking for. 
And I, I, Evan used to work for Mets Blog. Maybe we'll get a Mets Blog story. I mean, I remember following Evan when he was part of the Mets Blog team back in, you know, 05, 06, 07, around that. So maybe he'll get us a good Mets Blog story. But, um, you know, we're back in the saddle. We're back on the Sunday show. I just wanted to uh, take a minute to, um, you know, come to you guys. You know, I, I missed Sunday. I missed, the, you know, and hopefully you enjoyed the Super Bowl. I really wasn't into it. I know it was a great game, and I know the controversy with the holding at the end. I, I like fantasy football. I like, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of narrowing myself into baseball and the NBA and and really focusing on baseball mainly. The NBA is kind of like my non-media passion, and baseball is certainly a passion. I love the bats, but I also have taken it to the next level from a media perspective. So even though the Mets are a passion and they're – their entertainment, I, I feel obligated to treat it like a job because I am getting paid to do this, you know, even though it's not the only thing I, I do in my life to get paid. God help us if this is paying my bills. I've been living in a box. But uh, that's the way it is. So I'm looking to, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Evan Drellick this Sunday. I'm looking forward to coming back to you. Lots of stuff we could talk about Sunday. A realignment. I know there was some talk by Jim Bowden of how that could work. More into the rules. I'm sure there'll be plenty of cliches. You know, I hear Jacob DeGrom, even though it's really not our business, down in Texas is not feeling well. So he's off to a roaring start. Um, you know, and I wish no ill will on him, and nor should you. And I'm sure there'll be some kind of silly stories. Oh, the Yankees won't call us Carrasco. I'm sure they're going to give up a ton because, they, you know, the Mets are just there to help them when they need help, just like they helped everybody when they had a surplus of pitching. One thing I'll tell you, the Mets better not mess around. You do not want to mess around pitching surplus because a surplus turns into a deficit in pitching and baseball faster than the government surplus turns into a deficit in our world. So, you know, there's my unintentional political statement that you guys will get mad about. But you can't argue with that. That that doesn't go into political uh, lines on that. That's just fact. Anyone who knows how the, the country and the world works. So, anyway, that's it. That's all I got. We'll be back on Sunday with another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining me on the kickoff show for spring training 2020-2023, the journey begins. The Mets 2023 season officially begins now. We are there from day one. We'll be there to the last pitch, the last out. And then, of course, we start all over again with the hot stuff. So it's just like a it's like a wheel. It just keeps on turning at this point. All right, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And, of course, I want to welcome in and thank the good folks from the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast on Sunday. Till then, take care, everybody.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.